You're listening to the Meditation and Attachment Podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. So welcome everybody. This is uh, Meditation and Attachment, deepening your practice. It is June 25th, 2020 at 7.35 p.m. Uh, Pacific Daylight Time. Everybody good today? <clears throat> I have been threatening to talk about the uh, Satipatthana Sutta in this class, and I realized as I was uh, re- looking into it uh, this week that I, I haven't actually taught this uh, since uh, 2015 when I was at Against the Stream. And I normally uh, work with and, and teach the 16 stages of insight uh, and use the Mahasi Sado commentary on so that's the thing that resonates with me, and um, mostly. Um, but, but I do think that there's a perspective that, uh, um, in terms of the different ways in which uh, uh, practice is organized, the Buddha uh, is said to have given this discourse, and this is the one uh, discourse that he gave on meditation practice, the Satipatthana Sutta. And it's organized around different practices and uh, it's organized in uh, different uh, venues for exploration. So, for instance, uh, contemplation of the body, contemplations of feelings, contemplation of mind, contemplation of dharmas is the way that it's uh, organized. So you may have heard this list as the uh, four foundations of mindfulness. Contemplating the body <clears throat> is normally done in, in the description in the Satipatthana Sutta as contemplating the breath. Um, so the Anapati Sutta is uh, often used uh, to describe that. The Buddha talks about 16 stages of, of um, monitoring the breath. And, uh, the Anapatisati is the is the guide for that typically. Feelings or uh, feeling tone is uh, the way that it's often translated, which refers to Vedno, or the quality of uh, the sensing experience. Mind uh, is not the sensing experience of mind, but the mind that discerns what some sensing experience is. And it's often talked about in pairs, and dharmas are the different... uh, maps or factors that people use to describe what it is that's important to pay attention to in order to become enlightened. Um, I, being a Shinzen-trained Vipassana meditator, um, tend to uh, translate those, those teachings into techniques that he uses um, but I think it is it is useful to listen to the original teachings of the Buddha and try to make sense out of how um, I'm looking for the sutta itself, the translation, um, how that original teaching was offered, and then just to use it as a, as one of the, the maps uh, that you might explore if your end goal in practice is, uh, in fact, enlightenment. I do think that enlightenment, classical enlightenment, as it's meant and taught uh, 
um, in the Buddhist tradition is a, is a good goal for meditation practice. We do also teach quite a bit about attachment. And, um, the reason that we do that is often that there are hindrances that come in that prevent you from uh, being able to practice in a way that would lead to enlightenment. Uh, most of us who practice in the West are householders, and so really beginning to understand what it is that prevents people from pursuing this long goal of enlightenment is useful, and resolving those situations so that you can organize your life in such a way that you, that you are able to practice. I think it's also interesting in terms of understanding uh, uh, really the nature of Buddhism and what these teachings are, to actually have the context of the original texts. Um, the translation that I'm using is the translation from Pali. The Tathipatthana Sutta also exists in translations from other languages. And they're slightly different uh, as they've been adopted by different cultures. But to begin, thus I have heard on one occasion the Blessed One was living among the Kurus at a town of the Kurus called uh, Kamasadama. There the Blessed One addresses the monks. Monks, the monks replied, Venerable Sir, the Blessed One said this, Monks, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha and discontent, for acquiring the true method, the realization of nirvana, namely the four satipatthanas. So in the winter uh, period, when it was raining, the Buddha would um, withdraw to a, a campsite and wait out that. And the monks would gather around him and that they would practice in the wintertime when it was raining. Um, and so Blessed One is the, is the Buddha um, monks, this is the direct path for the purification of being, so this is the path to enlightenment, uh, the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, the disappearance of dukkha. As you remember, the description of dukkha, uh, dukkha is a Pali word that means, uh, well, it could mean discontent. If you were looking at a literal translation, what it would mean is that a, a poorly fitted axle, uh, so that the, the fit between the axle and the hub of the wheel doesn't match well, and so the, the movement of the wheel is not smooth. We talk about it in uh, three levels of, of dissatisfaction. One is that you live in a, in a body that will grow old, that will get sick and die. The second is that if you get what you want, you're going to lose it. Sometimes you don't get what you want, and sometimes you have to put up with things that you don't want. And the third level is a subtle, ongoing, nearly continuous irritation that the way that things are are not uh, the way that you would have them if you were in charge of anything. So it's a kind of double-edged sword. Nothing is the way that you actually want it, and you are not in charge of anything. <clears throat> For the acquiring the true method to understanding the teachings and how to practice for the realization of nirvana. Nirvana is a, another word for enlightenment, um, namely the four satipatthanas. What are the four? Here, monks, in regard to the body, a monk abides contemplating the body, diligent, clearly knowing and mindful, 
free from desires and discontent with regard to the world. In regard to feelings, he abides contemplating feelings, diligent, clearly knowing and mindful, free from desires and discontent with regard to the world. In regard to mind, he abides contemplating the mind, diligent, clearly knowing and mindful, free from desires and discontent with regard to the world. In regard to dhammas, he abides contemplating dhammas, diligent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from the desires of discontent with regard to the world. So this is the called the refrain in the Satipatthana Sutta, and it repeats over and over again throughout the sutta describing the different practices. So abides contemplating the body, diligent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desires of discontent, um, diligent is referring to effort. Clearly knowing is referring to sensory clarity. Mindful means that you're aware of the present moment. And uh, free from the desires and discontent with regard to the world means that you're concentrated and not distracted. So right effort, uh, sensory clarity, present moment awareness, and concentration are the basic qualities of any kind of meditation practice. And then you have the object of meditation, the body, the mind, the body, feeling tone, the mind, and the teachings, the dharmas. And then he goes on to say, and how monks does a monk in regard to the body abide contemplating the body? Hear the monk, here monks, gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut, a monk sits down, having folded his legs crosswise, had his body erect and established mindfulness in the front, he breathes in mindfully and breathes out mindfully. Breathing in long, he knows, I breathe in long, breathing out long, he knows, I breathe out long, breathing short, he knows, I breathe in short, breathing out short, he knows, I breathe out short, he trains. Uh, I breathe in experiencing the whole body, he trains. I breathe out experiencing the whole body, he trains. I breathe in common, calming the bodily formation, he trains. Uh, I breathe out calming the bodily formation. So here in this passage, he's describing the 16 stages of breath meditation, which might be considered a preliminary practice, which teaches you to develop a concentrated state and to calm the body so that you can then move into contemplating other images or other, not images so much as uh, other uh, investigations around the nature of the conditioning. Um, <clears throat> Shinzen <coughs> describes uh, or defines mindfulness as uh, CC and E, uh, concentration, sensory clarity, and equanimity. In some sense, what he's doing is combining these traits from the Satipatthana Sutta, these four uh, basis um, of mindfulness, but adding equanimity to this um, grouping 
is pulling equanimity, which is something that develops later from, from developing the practice. In the beginning, concentration is there, sensory clarity is there, right effort is there, so the attending effort, too much effort in the mind is restless, too little effort in the mind is sleepy. Um, <clears throat> So in the practices that you normally do in the West or practices that you've had uh, practicing with me or with Shinzen, uh, really the uh, initial practices are around, uh, certainly with Shinzen, developing these three aspects of concentration, sensory clarity, and equanimity. Equanimity is the absence of craving, aversion, and unconsciousness. Um, one of the things that Shinzen said early on when I was a student of he said, uh, a student of his, he said that in a perfect world, we would have perfect understanding of the teaching and perfect practice. But in an imperfect world, if you needed to choose between perfect practice and perfect understanding, uh, his preference was for perfect practice. And so one of the things that I think is true about the uh, pursuing these teachings is that you don't need to have the understanding of the traditional texts in order to engage in a practice that does uh, produce uh, results that come from meditative practice. Um, but it often is useful to understand how to direct the practice once you get past uh, developing the beginning level of skill. In Buddhist practice, um, they talk about access concentration, uh, developing a minimum level of concentration so that you can place your attention on the objects of meditation and not get pulled into the content of them, so that you can begin to watch the operation of your conditioning as it arises and passes. And um, <clears throat> Here, the, the map is really turning toward a long period of practice on, on breath meditation. When I was recently in uh, Myanmar, I went to a, a, a monastery a meditation center in the south near Mulamin, uh, which is the Pauk Center. And uh, uh, they asked me if I would spend some time talking to a monk who was learning English so that he could practice his conversational English with me. And then I could uh, use him as a guide to take me around the meditation center. And uh, he had said to me that as a monk, he had spent five years of daily practice on just the breath meditation piece, and that, they, that they didn't feel that he had uh, developed it sufficiently to move on to the next uh, investigation uh, of feeling tone, and that he was quite content to be engaged in the practice of the 16 stages of breath. But I noticed in the West the, the, the kind of uh, impatience that we normally have, which might come from the nature of our culture being oriented around distraction, 
and that we tend to uh, really dispense with most of the preliminary practices. Um, Dan Brown is one of my teachers uh, who uh, was charged with uh, his teacher was Menre to uh, change the pedagogy, pedagogy of the traditional way of teaching so that it would be more appealing to Westerners. One of the first things that he did was he dispensed with the preliminary practices. In Tibetan, if you know uh, preliminary practices, it, it's a it's a hundred thousand prostrations, uh, which is quite a large number. Can you imagine yourself going to the temple and needing to do a hundred thousand prostrations uh, before the Buddhist statue before they would teach you how to meditate? <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, can you wait ten minutes for your passport even? Before it's irritating. <laughs> And I think that part of that in our culture is really coming from the retreat uh, tradition. Um, we call it a dry Vipassana practice, where you just go to the retreat, even if you haven't done any kind of preliminary practice, and you sit the retreat, and that in sitting the retreat, you develop the requisite concentration that would be necessary to do the techniques in a way that actually produce a result. Um, and for a long time, that worked well because most of the teachings were only available on retreat for Westerners. And so you'd go to the retreat and you'd go for 10 days, say. In that 10 days, over the course of those days, you would develop that level of concentration that was necessary in order to have a meditative experience. But I noticed when I started teaching at uh, Against the Stream years ago that most of the people that came, uh, to the, that meditation center did not go on retreats. And so uh, often when I attempted to teach them these basic meditation techniques uh, and to do uh, immediately vipassana uh, techniques, that their concentration was insufficiently developed, that they could do the technique well enough to have a meditative experience from it. And one of the things that's important about this is to understand that meditation produces particular insights into the nature of the human condition. And as we meditate for ourselves, in particular uh, experiences about ourselves um, that are useful to know, and that if you can't watch the, the activity of yourself uh, as it manifests, you don't have a chance, really, at seeing these insights. Um, so, uh, I um, actually, when I was contemplating how to uh, address this issue around the contemplation of the breath, uh, decided that um, to do a period of practice where we went individually through the 16 different stages in, uh, of the breath was um, not going to be what I wanted to do. Uh, and instead, <clears throat> um, I read you the list, of course, uh, the beginning of the 16 stages, breathing in long, uh, breathing out long, breathing in short, breathing out short, 
breathing and experiencing the whole body, breathing in, uh, calming the bodily formations, and moving through that whole list of them. Um, <clears throat> We come to another section. Hi, I'm, I'm actually working. Uh, so, yes, you can. Which one are you going to get? Beautiful. <laughs> okay. I'm a, I'm a house guest, so they, they needed something from the room. Um, sorry, I called this other piece the uh, refrain, but actually, this this is section is um, more often referred to as the refrain. So, in this way, monks breathing in long, a monk knows I breathe in long, breathing out long. I uh, he knows I breathe out long, breathing in short. He knows I breathe in short, breathing out short. He knows I breathe out short. He trains. I breathe in experiencing the whole body, he trains. I breathe out experiencing the whole body, he trains. I breathe in calming the bodily formation, he trains. I breathe out calming the bodily formation. In this way, in regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body internally, or in regards to the body, contemplates the body externally, or in regards to the body, contemplates the body both internally and externally, or he abides contemplating the nature of the arising in the body, or he abides contemplating the nature of passing away in the body, or he abides contemplating the nature of arising and passing away in the body, or mindful that there is a body is established in him for the sake of bare knowledge and for the sake of continuous mindfulness, and he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. Monks, this is how... Uh, a monk, in regard to the body, abides contemplating the body. So we're then also looking at another series of aspects about the uh, nature of uh, what meditation exploration really is. Um, he abides contemplating the body internally and externally. So um, often the Buddha referred to as internally as the person of you and externally as other people. I often talk about this in the attachment work is uh, the capacity to mentalize self and to mentalize other, but to mentalize internally what the experience is and to understand externally there's a way of expressing it. And also to be able to understand that the external expression of someone else is uh, a representative of their internal state. Um, so mindfulness of inside, mindfulness of outside, mindfulness of inside and outside, and then to notice that there's a reactivity between us. So that if we were we were meditating just on the body, the sense experience enters, we take it in, and then there's a reaction to it, which then will drive action in the world. And so that we want to really be sensitive to this uh, internal, external experience, self and other experience. He abides contemplating the rising in the body, he contemplates the nature of passing away in the body, he abides contemplating the nature of arising and passing in the body. So here we're talking about the nature of impermanence, 
things arise. And actually the untrained mind is very sensitive to the arising of things, but not so sensitive to the passing away of things. So one of the trainings is to note just the arising of events. And another training is to notice the passing away of events, and then to notice the cycle of arising and passing, sort of wave-like experience of the present moment. Um, or mindful is that there is a body is established in him for the sake of bare knowledge and the sake of continuous mindfulness. So bare knowledge is a phrase that refers to uh, sensory clarity in the sense that you don't need to experience everything you need to experience it well enough to know what's happening. And there's a big difference from that. You can get too caught up in the details of what's happening and lose the larger picture. You don't need to do that. You need to hold the experience well enough to know what's actually happening. But not. But if you miss some of the finer details, that's totally fine. Mindfulness, again, is in the... the the way that it's uh, typically talked about in the Sutta means mindfulness of the present moment, so that your attention is continuously in the present moment, and you have bare awareness, which means you know enough of what's going on that you can know what it is that's happening, that you're noticing the arising and passing of things, and you're also noticing the internal experience, the external uh, world, I like to say, the, the sensing experience comes in, and then we project out into the world the conceptual reality that we make that sensing experience into, and then to notice that they're reactive to each other, interaction. And then this last piece is, um, he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. Here is the description of equanimity uh, in, in the refrain not clinging to anything, so not clinging would be the sense of grasping or craving. Aversion would be, of course, not wanting what's happening, resisting or holding it back. Unconsciousness would be um, just not being able to stay in mindfulness in the present moment because it's not engaging enough, not interesting enough. That making sense. So you have these um, different dials, if you will. Um, when I was a kid, my next door neighbor bought a 1967 fire engine red GTO convertible, and we used to go uh, racing around in this car. It's really fun. And he put a bunch of dials on top of the dashboard to monitor different qualities of the engine uh, beyond what the normal, uh, there was a tachometer and a speedometer and you know, the fuel and that sort of thing. Um, and so what I really think is when you're developing your, your meditation skill and you're, you're beginning to look at these individual aspects of uh, meditation that you consider each of these as a dial that uh, you don't need to read all of the time, but if you need information about them, you can just check the dial and see where you're at with it, and that that can be helpful. So you have the four dials of the uh, energy, uh, you know, I just want to use the same language so it doesn't become uh, diligent, which is uh, referring to right effort, 
In meditation, you don't want too much effort because it makes the mind restless. You don't want too little energy because it makes the mind sluggish. Clearly knowing, so energy level, sensory clarity, am I clearly knowing where I am? Am I mindful? And am I concentrated? So that's your first four set. So when you're coming into your meditation practice and you're sitting down and you're investigating what's happening in that practice, you could click off those in the beginning. Um, is my energy level right? Am I agitated? Do I need to settle down? If I'm sleepy, do I need to uh, boost up my energy? You'll uh, notice in my description of how to set the body down, I talk about uh, regulating the brightness or the dimness of the mind by regulating the tension in the core of the mind. So this is that uh, instruction. If you notice the mind is restless, you intentionally relax the core of the body. If you notice the mind is sleepy, you intentionally tighten the core of the body. That's how you adjust it. Clearly knowing, so you're paying attention. Um, we typically do a see, hear, feel type practice to, to begin to develop sensory clarity so that you begin to divide uh, visual experience from auditory experience from the felt sense of the body, and then a further division of internal and external experience, which uh, addresses the, the one of the qualities from the frame. Mindful, are you in the present moment and are you concentrated? Those are your four dials. And then, um, in the technique, with those four dials in place, you then begin these additional investigations. Uh, mindfulness of inside mindfulness, of outside mindfulness, of inside and outside. One of the techniques that we use to explore that is the focus in, focus out, see here, feel technique. Some of you may be familiar with um, The arising and passing meditation is addressed by the flow meditation in Shinzen's system. Um, one of the reasons that Shinsen divided uh, and labeled uh, his meditation system the way that he did into these broad generic categories was to reinforce the bare awareness aspect. You don't need to really bore down into what aspect of visual thinking it is. You just need to know that it's C-in. You don't need to bore down into what sensation in the body it is. Uh, you just need to know that it's feel out in the way that he structures it. It can be useful into developing this bare awareness to go deeply through these investigations of the individual sense gates so that you have familiarity with the, the range of sensing experiences that make up each of these categories. But once you have enough understanding of what those experiences are, by uh, doing those uh, more detailed investigations, you don't need to continuously do that in all of your practices. As we move from setting up the basic uh, capacity to meditate to exploring specific objects, looking for specific insights from viewing those objects, that can interfere with that process of insight.
Um, so continuously aware and then coming into this place of equanimity. How do we come into this place of equanimity, which is this balance, not wanting something different than what is, not, not wanting what is, and, and not being distracted from what's happening because it isn't engaging or interesting. One of the things about meditation practice is often that you're in this place of ordinariness, the ordinary experience of what you're like. I often uh, equate this to knowing that uh, uh, a room that you're not in and the house that you're in has wallpaper on it, but not actually being able to remember what the pattern of the wallpaper is. Disengaged from things. Um, and so to be fully present for things, but then not need them to be different than they are, it's that uh, final piece of the equanimity arising. And that equanimity arising comes from this matter-of-fact uh, way of uh, viewing things. And uh, one of the ways that Shinzen's uh, practice does that is by focusing on the uh, noting practices that were developed by Mahasi Sayadaw, uh, the Karnaka Samadhi, which is the momentary high concentration practices where you let your attention be drawn to something, you soak into it in a moment of high concentration, really pay attention in that moment to what's happening, discern what's happening, and then release that state of high concentration, allowing the mind then to be drawn to the next object. This is very different in the approach to what's described in the Satipatthana Sutta because in the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, in the way that you begin to contemplate meditation is by concentrating on the breath to come into these high concentration states, which then allows you to move to this place of uh, one-pointedness on a, a particular object. Um, <clears throat> Um, but I do have a decided preference about uh, um, moving more quickly into insight practice and, and looking for um, a meditative experience that is going to be rewarding um, so that uh, we don't get frustrated or disinterested in the practice. Is that making sense? If you want to um, look at people who do teach Anapadasati, the person that I know that does that is a guy named Mike Sattel, and he's in L.A. He teaches at Inside L.A. If you wanted to explore in that way, you could. It tends to be a more traditional uh, teacher around uh, presenting the suttas. Um, I... Uh, tend um, to think of them more as a reference for how to practice than as a uh, somebody who might, uh, I'm trying to say this in a way that is not in any way pejorative, and I'm having a little bit of difficulty with that, but um, some people 
take the suttas as a, a kind of doctrinal uh, way, and they get very particular about the way that they're presented. Um, in the beginning, that's actually quite an interesting training. Are you present in the moment, or you're getting pulled away into thinking? You can explore that process of when you're present in the moment and what uh, pulls you out of that uh, mindfulness. And then that concentration piece. The breath counting uh, is what I usually do uh, for the uh, development of uh, concentration. Um, and the instructions that I would uh, normally give for that would be to place your attention in a specific spot on the cycle of the breath. So tip of the nose, opening of the mouth, back of the throat, rising of the chest, rising of the belly. Because that one-pointedness is, is um, part of the process of developing concentration. Um, but in the uh, initial instructions of the Satipatthana Sutta, it's about monitoring whether the breath is long or short, deep or shallow. Um, um, but it, because it has a, a much longer uh, labeling process, it tends to, or at least in my experience of doing it in the beginning, tended to uh, get me more involved in the narrative often and the evaluation of it rather than simply sticking to one point and trying to hold my attention. And then in all of the techniques, this idea of monitoring the Mindfulness of inside, mindfulness of outside, mindfulness of inside and outside. So you have the in, internal experience and the external, uh, the experience of the world, and that there's a constant interaction between them, and you monitor that. Noticing that everything is impermanent, arises and passes. Um, the way that the instruction is given is you notice the arising first, and then you notice the passing. And then you notice the interactivity of that. That something arises, and because of the nature of consciousness, we're really only able to pay uh, close attention to one thing at a time. So something needs to arise and pass before the next thing can arise and pass. Doesn't necessarily mean that the object that you're focusing on ends, but it could also mean that your attention on that object ends and your attention is drawn to a different object. Your awareness enough of what's happening, you know enough of what's happening, and then this piece about equanimity arising. You can just be in it the way that it is and not need it to be different, not to be, need to be away from it, continuously present. And those basic meditation skills are then applied to whatever object that you choose to focus on and to investigate. That's making sense. Jackie? Could you talk a little louder? I don't know why I'm having trouble hearing. Yeah. Uh, right.
And how did you label it? Okay. And was it auditory? Auditory visual. Right. So then it, and it also sounds like you had an aversive reaction to it because you didn't want it to be happening. Right. So that's actually the diligence piece, the energy piece, the uh, momentary drop. Um, sometimes we call it the Zen lurch. Um, so what's happening is the body-mind is settling in, it's relaxing, it's calming itself, and then it's thinking, time to go to sleep. And so, kaboom. The good thing about being in the sitting posture is that when you begin to fall, the body catches itself and wakes you up, whereas if you were laying down, you might just fall into sleep there. And, uh, and so that's one of the reasons that the, the posture is useful, particularly if you use the same meditation posture uh, routinely that the mind begins to learn that in that posture, falling asleep is not what you want to have happen. So it will, it'll, you'll train yourself out of doing that. But that's, that's a loss of mindfulness, a loss of energy um, in that moment. The whole body just settling into a relaxed state. So the answer is more energy. So if you find it's happening too much, just open the eyes and, and fix your gaze about six feet in front of you and let the focus go a little soft and that'll add more energy. Good. I'm going to try earphones and see if that helps with the hearing. Someone else? Do you like the idea of going into the Satipatthana Sutta as an exploration? Have you done it before? Um, uh, Um, can you say a little bit more about that so I can be sure to understand it? Yeah.
So this is part of right action. Um, uh, it isn't one of the dials, but it is one of the investigations. Um, so the fourth is the the the, uh, the exploration of dharmas, and so you would be moving into exploring. Uh, a number of various lists depending on the tradition uh, with meditation. Uh, but in, in this text, it isn't uh, either in the refrain or in the, the preamble to the, the uh, Satipatthana. The four foundations of mindfulness uh, is another way to translate it. Satipatthana. Um, uh, in a more traditional translation would be the four pastures of practice and so that that one would be the fourth one but not necessarily uh, in the basic instruction for the, for the practice of mindfulness meditation. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. The intention, uh, particularly the attachment intention, is the thing that underlies the meaning of the action. Even though any of the attachment strategies could take a similar action, it's really what's underlying it that has the defining meaning of it. Someone else? Satipatthana. Um, it's mostly taught in a linear manner, but um, I think that you could focus on any of them and have the, uh, the insights that come from them. Uh, the the way that it is set up with using the breath as the object of meditation and going through the 16 stages of breath meditation is so that you'll develop a sufficient level of concentration to be able to have the experience that leads to the insights in the other areas. Um, so uh, that's why they do it. Um, but if you already had the concentration that you needed, you would be able to, you would be able to watch the other objects of meditation in a, in a way that produced insight in that way. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't necessarily do it in whatever order you, order you want. But then you're looking at me and my biases, and I don't tend to be uh, uh, rigid about uh, or fundamental in my uh, use uh, of these. writings. But it would be easy to encounter someone who is. (laughs) 
I'm, uh, I've always appreciated irreverence and humor and teaching. So that's kind of how I, I roll with this. Um, and I do find that uh, because I am so uh, oriented around the progress of insight and the, and the Mahasi style of meditating, that the Karnaka Samadhi that comes from that momentary concentration is a real preference. So you have that bias in the way that I present this. Someone else? Um, in the next meditation that we're going to do uh, next time, and I thought we'd do two or three of these in a row and, and tell people are uh, hungering uh, again for metta. Let's see what it is. Um, in the whole beginning of this, it's it's uh, mainly breath. And entering into the first jhana. So I think that um, in the next uh, class about this, I'll talk about jhanic states and how you can use breath as an object to enter into a jhanic state. Um, and then describe the experiences of John, and then we can practice uh, seeing if we can come into a Johnic state using uh, breath as the object. How's that? Good. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I I am um, teaching uh, a beginner class on Tuesday night. This class on Thursday nights. I have a retreat, uh, a virtual retreat, a five-day virtual retreat coming up in July, which is open for registration now. Um, there are only 20 spaces in the retreat that will include interviews. Uh, after that part is filled up, we will let people uh, attend the retreat, but uh, you won't be able to have interviews. So uh, it's about half full now. So if you want to consider that, I would sign up sooner than later. Um, we are canceling the uh, residential retreat in September because um, the way that the pandemic is going, it doesn't look like it's reasonable to gather people together uh, at a retreat center where there's no possibility of social distancing. Uh, I'm doing a series of uh, day-longs on the progress of insight um, once a month the third Saturday of every month through the end of the year. So if you want to also uh, take a look at what that map is like, uh, you can come to that class. Joel, did you have a question? So it's, it's close to the, the, the normal schedule. We'll start the morning with yoga at seven, um, and uh, I think that we'll have, um, I haven't uh, um, figured it out yet with the yoga teacher, whether she'll do it live or whether it'll be a video. And then um, 
there's a practice period in the morning and then um, the instructions will be given for the day and there'll be a practice period. Then the interviews will happen. And in the afternoon, we'll do a period of extended sitting. Um, typically, I do the, a four-hour period of sitting, which you can sit as one period or divide up uh, hourly. And then in the evening, there'll be uh, the Dharma talk, uh, or an alternate, alternate, well, a, a more likely a and a Q&A might be a better way to describe it. I'm not a huge fan of Dharma talks, so I don't like to give them much, but um, a Q&A period alternating with uh, ideal parent figure. It's a meta Vipassana retreat, so we'll do two days of meta and then three days of Vipassana. So it's basically from, say, 7 in the morning until 9 at night. Um, some people have said that they, they want to, uh, um, rather than do the retreat on their own, they'll, they'll stay with friends or organize gatherings and do it that way. That might be something also we can see. If you don't want to do it all on your own. Any other questions? Um, the class here tonight is offered on a Donna basis. Donna is the probably word for generosity. So I offer the teachings and then um, hope that you support that through donation. Uh, you can go to the metagroup.org website and click on the link for donation. Um, it supports me and also supports the work that Metagroup is doing, so it's very much appreciated. Everybody is, of course, able to come. And I don't even really know uh, what the contributions are, but it is helpful to us to keep the, the work that we're doing going and uh, very much appreciated. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.